Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I've always been a big believer that sports fans show their love of sports by having arguments. That's just kind of the way that sports fans just... I think they take time to appreciate sports because if you think about it, there's only so much watching of games that actually goes on. For those of us that love college football, even if your team wins the national championship, that's still only 15 games. There are 365 days in a year. So if your primary way of expressing your love for sports is watching the games, you're actually just not going to get that many chances to do that because the college football season is just really, really short. So that leaves you a lot of days where no games are taking place. And how do sports fans fill their time? How do college football fans in particular fill their time? By arguing. Now, I don't mean like the kind of like real mean-spirited, nasty arguments that kind of define other aspects of life. Hopefully, sports can be a break from that. That doesn't mean we're not passionate about it. doesn't mean that we don't you know, emphatically try to make our case. It's just one of those things that ultimately the result of this argument is probably less important than some of the other arguments that go on. But sometimes it's just kind of nice to immerse yourself in something that matters a little bit less because it provides a break from the things that you'd otherwise be thinking about. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what this show serves to do. Hey, let's give your brain a break. Let's give you a chance to relax and uh, wrap your mind around a subject that we all just enjoy, college football. And we do that this time of year by arguing. And I would say that in this particular time of the season, the main catalyst for a lot of these arguments are lists who so-and-so ranks where on so-and-so list of likely to happen or what has happened in the past or whatever else and i don't need to tell you this you already know i'm going to say this anyway ultimately these lists don't really matter you know they, they really don't there is really no outcome attached to blah blah from some national website saying georgia's the eighth best this as opposed to the fourth best that clearly that doesn't really matter all that much but honestly, if we only talk about things that matter, then we would not really be talking very much at all because all of this is supposed to be fun and all of this is supposed to be entertainment. So with that in mind, let's talk about Kirby Smart and where he currently ranks as a, the top coach among the top coaches in college football. But to get the full appreciation for Smart's rank on this, and while I think after it's all said and done, Smart's still not quite getting enough credit for having won the national championship. I think it's important to go back a year ago and talk about where what folks were saying about Kirby Smart there at the time. That leading into last season, there was, I think, a lingering criticism of Smart. One big knock on him, one big, uh, you know, I guess, level of skepticism that seemed to exist around Kirby Smart. And one of the guys that probably, you know, probably is articulates this as well as anybody else does you know him, paul feinbaum of course the uh you know radio host and guy that shows up on espn things like that feinbaum was on uh, radio station wjox in birmingham and feinbaum was talking at the time about a criticism that he thinks exists of kirby smart this is what people were saying about kirby a year ago prior to having won the national championship and in your own circles with your own friends who may be fans of other programs you may have heard them say something like this about kirby before but as a reminder this is what folks were saying about kirby last year this is feinbaum from the birmingham radio station 
in spite of this chatter out there about Kirby Smart, and, and, and I've heard it, and you've heard it, you know, this you know, Danny Sheridan was on our show the other day, and he picked uh, he picked Georgia to make the Final Four, but he said if they don't make it this year, you know, when 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 will they make it? I'm not. I'm, I still think the overall record there is 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 exemplary. Kirby Smart just needs to to quiet down that that conversation out there that that he can't. Uh, that he's not a great on-the-field coach. And, and whether he is or isn't, I, I, it will continue to be debated. But, but I, I think his record is pretty good. So I think that's really interesting that Paul Feinbaum there says, hey, Kirby Smart's issue is people think he can't coach. People think that all he does – now Feinbaum doesn't say this, but this is what he means – that all Smart does is collect talent. That's all. Uh, that's all he does. He he puts a bunch of talent together and he utilizes that to get some success. But he doesn't, as a coach, try to push the right buttons to get the team over the top to actually win the national championship. That's what folks were saying about Smart a year ago. And the other thing that you hear from Feinbaum there, which is another part of the kind of the same error in thinking about Smart was, and we we. We called this out at the time. We said it was ridiculous at the time, not because we knew Georgia was going to win the national championship last season, but because we believe that Georgia has chances of winning the national championship. We're going to extend well beyond 2021. This notion of, well, if Kirby Smart don't win a national championship in 2021, when is he going to do it? Like this idea that somehow the the window for Georgia and its championship success was going to close after the 2021 campaign. We said that was silly, but it was still really cool to see how emphatically Smart answered that criticism of him of, well, he doesn't push the right buttons. He's not an in-game strategist. He's not a, he's not a good on-field coach. You think about the decision to insert Broderick Jones, move Jamari Salyer over to the guard spot. Think about any other number of of strategic advantages that Smart built for himself last season along the way to winning a national championship. And pretty clearly, I would think that any questions about Smart as an in-game strategist, almost certainly they would have had to have been satisfied based on what Georgia did last year. But it's another kind of interesting snapshot of how folks thought about Smart this time a year ago. Furthermore, we even kind of you know criticized uh, some of the folks last year for where they ranked Kirby Smart as a coach in college football. He was, you know, kind of second half of the top ten in some of these rankings. And the issue we had with him a year ago was that why is Kirby Smart ranked behind so many people that he's beaten head to head, like Lincoln Riley, like Brian Kelly, who he'd beaten twice, you know, uh, like Jimbo Fisher, who he'd beaten in 2019. Smart was kind of in some of these preseason rankings of top coaches in college football. He was ranked behind those guys a year ago. We thought that was frankly kind of silly then. We brought on Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill's one of the guys who does one of these rankings. They had him seventh in their list last year as I said, behind guys like Brian Kelly. And we told, you know, uh, Bender last year, hey, we think this is an error because of what Smart's doing in kind of the head-to-head uh, realm against these kinds of coaches. And once again, as a setup to get us where we need to go today, here is Bill Bender explaining why Smart was so low a year ago. This was from last summer. That's uh, fair, yeah. And that's the first thing I told our staff. I said, they're going to bring up the two Notre Dame games with BK. Um, you know, with Kelly, I mean, Kelly's been to the playoffs twice and had two undefeated seasons. They played two close games, but Kirby won them. I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma's a tough one because Oklahoma, in their conference, they've won their conference every year under Lincoln Riley. They're producing Heisman candidates at quarterback every single season. And Georgia, we always talk about, is this the right quarterback for Georgia? I think that's a big difference. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Kirby's recruiting at an elite level. 
um, is one big. I think the biggest thing with his ranking is the next part is how do you get into that number three spot? You got to win one. And Jimbo's won one. So that's that's Bill Bender saying, hey, if you want to get up above seventh on this list, if you want to get up to third on this list, uh, all the top coaches in college football, you got to win a national championship. Well, guess what? That's exactly, as you know, what Kirby Smart went out and did last season. But something interesting happened after that. When CBS Sports re-ranked their top coaches for the uh, upcoming season, kind of the snapshot of where things exist for the sport right now, they didn't do the simple easy thing of ranking Kirby Smart third on their list behind the coaches currently with multiple national championships. They actually leapfrogged. Is that the way you would say that? Verb tense is going to get me sometimes. They leapfrogged Kirby Smart ahead of Dabo Sweeney, putting Nick Saban still at number one. You're not surprised by that. But now on the CBS Sports list of best coaches in college football, if you go to CBSSports.com, you can read it. They got Kirby Smart second, and they got Dabo Sweeney third. However, however, Tom Fornelli, who writes the piece at CBSSports.com that explains this, goes into detail about what a mistake he believes this to be. And this is where, even after a year of being the national champion and moving up from where he was a year ago, we thought Kirby was ranked too low on these lists a year ago. He makes a big leap forward this year because of winning the national championship. But lo and behold, even after all that, I think there's a case to be made that Georgia and Kirby Smart in particular is still not getting all the credit it deserves. Let me show you the write-up from CBS on uh, Dabo Sweeney as a way of kind of explaining why this is. So Fornelli gets very editorial here in saying, this is the worst ranking of the year. He means Dabo at number three. And it's nothing but recency bias. There are two coaches in the sport today who have won national titles, and Sweeney is one of them, obviously Nick Saban being the other. Fornelli goes on to say, I don't mean this as a disrespect to Kirby Smart, who took Swinney's spot at number two, but this is a failure by my fellow panelists. Tom Fornelli arguing that Dabo Swinney and not Kirby should be the number two coach in college football behind Nick Saban. Now, let me tell you this to be, I guess, fair and balanced here for a moment. I believe that Clemson may be the most interesting team in the country for the upcoming season. Not the team I'm the most interested in. That's obviously going to be Georgia. But the team that I think is the most interesting, the team that might have the most to say about what the sport looks like come December and January when we get into the postseason may very well be Clemson. Because as Fornelli points out, this is true, that prior to this past season, we thought of Clemson as a program in a similar tier to Alabama, having won multiple national championships, having a stretch of consecutive appearances in the college football playoff. We thought of Clemson as a relatively bulletproof program. And a lot of that did change after last season when Georgia beat them in week one, when they struggled offensively for really the entirety of the year. By the end of the year, they were playing you know, better football, but this was not a playoff caliber team last season. And it seems like on the heels of that, a lot of people have kind of written off Clemson. And there's a chance they have been written off too soon. There's a chance they do get back on the horse and return to playoff level caliber here for this upcoming season. That's one of the things that makes them fascinating. But the flip side of that is, Last year was the first year in a long time that Clemson had played without what I think of as kind of an all-time great college quarterback. That's what Trevor Lawrence was. That's what Deshaun Watson was before him. I don't look on the Clemson roster right now and see the presence of someone who I think potentially could be considered an all-time great college quarterback. So can a, can a coach like Sweeney 
perform and succeed when he doesn't have a Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence style quarterback? Maybe not. And maybe that's bringing the Clemson era to an end here. I think that Clemson's a very fascinating team. And for Nelly may be right that Clemson's been written off too soon. That may be true. But ultimately, my issue here with uh, people being mad at Kirby being ranked ahead of Dabo has got actually very little to do with Dabo Sweeney himself. And to me, this is more about just kind of a misunderstanding that seems to exist about Kirby Smart. There is a particular error that people keep making over and over again when it comes to Kirby, and they're still making it. You heard Paul Feinbaum a moment ago say, well, if Kirby Smart doesn't win one in 2021, when is he going to win it? We heard a lot of folks saying that a year ago. We said that's way too fatalistic. That's way too aggressive in terms of an expected timeline for success for Kirby. And the same kind of idea still sort of lingers a little bit because even in the piece at CBSSports.com, when they ranked him as the second best coach in college football, it is still, I think, a perspective on Smart that is riddled with a very common error. Let me show you Tom Fernelli again, who I think is actually a pretty good writer. I'm not, you know, criticizing Fernelli. I'm just criticizing the, the the idea reflected by Fernelli in this piece. So in explaining Kirby Smart as the number two coach in college football, the CBS writer's capsule kind of includes this. Smart won a national title at Georgia. Now listen to this. Something that most dog fans had begun to think was impossible. That's what Tom Fernelli writes. How many Georgia fans do you know that thought it was impossible that Georgia was going to win a national championship? Fornelli goes on to say, it took longer than hoped, but felt inevitable, and it finally happened. Of all the words that Fornelli uses there, the word that I hate the most is the idea that it, quote, finally happened. This is the error that people have made about Smart. And by the way, I think some Georgia fans themselves have made this error, too. In retrospect, the thing that's interesting about Georgia winning the national championship is not how long it took Kirby Smart to get there, but how quickly he made it happen. Kirby Smart didn't linger along his way to winning a national championship. Kirby Smart took the Georgia job in 2016, put the pedal to the metal, and got there faster than anyone should have reasonably conceived as a possibility there on this. Because in comparison to Dabo Swinney, who took, what, eight years to win his first national champion at Clemson, championship at Clemson, when the path that he got to travel was through the pillow soft ACC. Whereas by comparison, Kirby Smart left Alabama at the height of Alabama's power when Alabama was dominating the SEC, came to Georgia with the task of being at his alma mater, building something that rivaled Alabama, and he did it. And he did it in, what, six years? It's not, it's not amazing that it took so long. It's amazing that it happened so fast. And there has been evidence along the way that this was happening, that the only thing, it's kind of like the video game type deal, Bowser's Castle, like the only boss that Nick Saban had left to vanquish was, uh, or I should say that Kirby Smart had left to vanquish was Nick Saban himself. But along the way to all this, we all, around here, we believe the idea that success leaves clues, that if you're on your way towards some sort of great breakthrough, there will be evidence of that along the way. And in Kirby Smart's career, that's very much true. Uh, you look at the other coaches in the top 10, Dabo Swinney at three, Kirby beat him last year. Lincoln Riley at four, Kirby beat him in 2017. Jimbo Fisher at number five, Kirby Smart beat him in 2019. Ryan Day's never played. Brian Kelly at number seven, now at LSU, Kirby beat him twice while at uh, Notre Dame. And on and on you go, Jim Harbaugh at nine, Kirby beat him last year. 
that the idea here is is that Kirby Smart very quickly has been putting himself in a very rarefied conversation of the best coaches in college football and finally he broke through and won the national championship last year but even I am guilty of using the word that doesn't deserve to be used there it wasn't finally it was wow look how fast all this happened now let me say one more thing and I'm gonna wrap this up the other thing that goes on here is is that all of us are conditioned to believe that sports are not supposed to be easy so when a guy like say Michael Jordan emerges on the scene in basketball there's a little bit of a sense of oh gosh if you make this look too easy I have to go back and reconsider everything I believe to be true prior to this Tiger Woods and golf kind of the same way now I'm not saying that Kirby Smart is a Tiger Woods Michael Jordan level figure as a college football coach that's not what I'm saying but we are conditioned to believe the sport's supposed to be hard and there's a little bit of a natural skepticism against anyone who makes it look easy but over the course of these last six years isn't it fair to say that smart has made it look easier than it actually is and this is not to say that he's infallible he's had some missteps along the way and maybe if he'd pushed a couple of different buttons a little bit differently a couple of times maybe he would have won a national championship sooner but ultimately that's not that much of a criticism and he may make more errors in the future and impede his own success and somehow i mean you know men are fallible Uh, smart may be uh you know prone to that there as well but he has certainly made the climb towards a national championship really look pretty easy uh starting out at the bottom in 2016 as a rookie head coach climbing all the way to the top here at the conclusion of the 2021 season with only nick saban in his sights to be considered rightly the best coach in the uh, sport passing up Dabo sweeney it creates a great debate but the point of all this is is that the kirby smart side of this argument i think there's plenty of evidence to back it up my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are glad to have you, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We'll do it at 10 a.m. for you on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including at the worldfamousdognation.com and all the other platforms there as well. No matter how you get to our show, we are just really, really happy to have you as a part of that. We're also happy to have our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia making it all possible here today. Longtime friends of ours here around Dog Nation. We love to tell you stories about folks who've been supporting us because we believe it's always a great idea to support them. They're also proud partners of UGA there as well. Good to support those who support the dogs and even better to support a team like what exists at Engineered Solutions of Georgia when it comes to two of the most significant issues you can face there in your home. I'm talking about foundation and waterproofing issues, especially this springtime of year when we get a lot of rain and you know how that uh, becomes a big issue there. That means water creeps into where it's not supposed to be. You see evidence of a problem? Well, reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia because they are a solutions-based company. That means they're going to tell you whatever you need. Uh, you know, uh, they've been doing this for more than 15 years. That means if you need just like a downspout, they'll just tell you how to go get that. And you can figure all that out. And uh, that's that. But if you have a more substantial issue that you're going to deal with, you want ESOG because they've got a full team of engineers on staff. And no other foundation repair company in Georgia can offer that for you. It's the strength that you lean on when it comes to engineered solutions of Georgia. For your foundation issues, for your waterproofing issues, you see cracks in your walls, that can be a sign of a problem. That's why you want to reach out to engineered solutions of georgia they're a proud partner of uga they're very easy to get in touch uh, touch with just let me give them a call 
E-S-O-G now. That's 678-E-S-O-G now. They also offer you a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials, installation, and design. So reach out to them, 678-E-S-O-G now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're going to get in touch with uh, Mike Griffith here today. A little bit of a surprise appearance for him on a Tuesday, uh, but we'll do that with Mike coming in. We have a special guest that's going to join us tomorrow. So a little bit different shifting around on some of the uh, guests. Connor Riley's on vacation to this week so we'll look forward to checking in with him here at some point time there as well i'm also going a little late here which has kind of been our thing as of late so let me see if i can pick up the pace here just a bit so around the doghouse here for a moment uh jimbo fisher is still talking now i'm very surprised by this because the sec commissioner greg sankey has come out and he's put his moratorium in place no one's supposed to be speaking at all in fact we told you yesterday this even extends to coaches beyond jimbo fisher nick saban you're aware probably they had a big war of words last week over the role of nil and recruiting got pretty nasty really on both sides and the kind of like you know um silence here is supposed to extend even beyond jimbo and saban because as we told you lane kiffin was supposed to go on the dan patrick show and even he canceled that because the commissioner didn't want him talking either that everybody's supposed to shut up here on this notion of how nil is impacting recruiting and who's cheating and who's breaking the law and who you know hates who or whatever else yo i'm fascinated by this even after all that jimbo fisher is still at it so let me explain this Coaches this time of year kind of go through their rubber chicken circuit type stuff. And Texas is a very big state. So in some respects, you know, you're going to go out of market a little bit where instead of being with your local media, which for A&M is probably more like the Houston market, you're kind of getting into like the San Antonio world. You're going to visit booster clubs, things like that in San Antonio, which, you know, has different TV stations and different. It's just a different media market than Houston is. So for a big state like uh, Texas and A&M kind of covers that area there. You know, San Antonio is kind of a local market for you, but you're speaking to different media in San Antonio than you're speaking to in Houston. Does that make sense? So while in San Antonio to do some visits, Jimbo Fisher met with a local San Antonio TV reporter and the subject of all the stuff that happened before uh, came up. And Jimbo dropped a little nugget here that's going to be hard for some people to believe. But Fisher is standing by his story emphatically uh, that NIL did not play anywhere near as big a role in the uh, recruiting of the 2022 cycle as some people seem to think it did. This is Jimbo while on TV in San Antonio from the weekend interview just now coming to light. Jimbo Fisher. The name, image, and likeness. I keep saying this about recruiting. And I just researched this. Of the 11 guys we have in, in placing that came early, one guy has an NIL deal. Really? Yes. Just one? Just one. So all these stories you're hearing are complete lies. Well, now, because what, was, what happened over the last 48 hours? No, nothing. And it never happened before. Because it was written on social media, and it started with the Bro Bible Slice Bread deal. Right. So everybody believed it. Nick, all the people obviously believed it. I went and checked with our compliance people, because we have nothing to do with it. One guy. Of the 11? Yes. Of the early enrollees. Of the early enrollees. Oh, there's a lot to explain there. First of all, you hear a voice off camera. That is like the A&M like SID staff. That's going to be important here in a moment. The bro Bible uh, slice bread thing. You're aware of this. There's a you know website there called bro Bible, which is basically just sort of clickbaity type stuff. And they had like written uh, a story based on a message board post from a guy named slice bread about A&M having a $30 million NIL fund, which literally 
just got picked up by a lot of different people and talked about as if it was basically an accepted fact, even though the origin story for this was a message board post picked up by, you know, kind of a, you know, clickbait tabloid type site. And Jimbo Fisher has argued that many times in the past that it's silly that people even believed that. But when he says, hey, of our 11 early enrollees, only one of them has an NIL deal. There are so many different ways to finesse a statement like that. I mean, like there are so many different ways to define this as a way of making it be whatever you want to be. I do truly believe the actual truth here is hard to know. I think that Jimbo is likely right when he says that the NIL stuff was nowhere near as big as some people seem to think it was. I think a lot of these NIL you know, monetary figures have been exaggerated. I've explained that to you in the past. So Jimbo is probably right on that. But I also think that Jimbo is probably, if I had to guess, intentionally playing a little bit dumb here or intentionally watering down the 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 idea here a little bit when he says, hey, listen, only one of our guys got an NIL deal. You know, there's just a lot of different ways to finesse that if that's what you want to say. And I think for a, for a good number of people, Jimbo's statement there doesn't necessarily feel incredibly believable, even if people are kind of not even sure if it's even wrong to have recruits with NIL deals. There's still an element in which people wonder, is Jimbo Fisher really telling the truth? But the fascinating part on all this is Jimbo, who spent all last week arguing with Nick Saban, gets into a very heated exchange with his TV reporter here. Now, a moment ago in the clip, you heard uh, Jimbo and the SID, who's not a part of the interview, but just kind of it's this is sort of like the PR person with like the Hollywood, you know, when the Hollywood person is being interviewed for a magazine profile, the PR person is kind of sitting off to the side. The SID in this particular case kind of and that's who I believe this is kind of functions as like the PR person for Jimbo setting up the interview to saying when to wrap up, things like that. But listen to how many times the SID here tries to interject and basically to get shouted down by Jimbo Fisher, who wants to argue this TV reporter. This is very weird behavior for an SEC coach, but it's fascinating to me. So listen to Jimbo getting into the argument with the TV reporter and basically shouting down his own media staff when they try to break it up. This is Jimbo Fisher. I said that about I said that about a while ago. It's like that's why I made the original one back in February when they said we had thirty five million dollars in a thing. That's that's it's all false. It's all it's all it was written on social media, so everybody believes it. And you got news channels believing it. Hey, big people believing it. And you believed it. Well, and Nick Saban believed it, obviously. Well, he's not news. You're news. You're media. You guys not research. But Nick's- I, I, I'm asking you, did you re- did you do your research? Uh, you just no, no. See, you can't answer. So you just assumed. And that's the way this world goes now. As soon as it's written on social media and someone says it, you believe it. So where does that put you as guys as reporters? Where does that put coaches like Nick Saban, who know better, if, if that's the case? Where does that put reporters at? I can't believe he won't shut up. I can't believe he's still doing this. And to me, this is the same thing as the deal with Nick Saban, where Nick Saban's like, we ain't ever paid a player. You better hope that's true, because people are about to go digging. And it's the same thing here with Jimbo Fisher, when he says, hey, our guys don't have NIL deals. Whether they legally could or couldn't, you better hope what you're saying is true because you are deputizing a whole bunch of reporters to go dig in here and to go talk to recruits and say, exactly what did A&M tell you? Like, I mean, Jimbo Fisher, when he gets this aggressive by denying something, is going to cause some people to go fishing around here. And, and so at some point in time, surely somebody's going to be interested in trying to find out what the actual facts are. From, from that standpoint, Jimbo better be very careful here. 
But the exchange actually gets even more heated to the point that Jimbo yells at one of his own staffers during this interview. This is so bizarre, so unlike what you typically get from SEC coaches. And it was from this past weekend. Once again, Jimbo Fisher. So you're defending Nick Saban. No, I'm just crazy. I'm asking you guys to okay. put it out in the media. I'm at, I, I did this. Hold on. I ain't getting into this. Uh, no, no, no. I, I understand. But I just want to. Is this change? It's because social media and media put it out. I got it. Mm-hmm. Does, does you it, believed it. You just asked me. Sure. Does that change anything? What's it change? N- nothing's just changed in the beginning. Truth. Truth. What's the truth? Nobody wants the truth. You want a story and a click and a hit. Think. What's the next question? See, I threw you off your game right now. Well, you're, no. off, you're off your game. You're out of question. <laughs> not, definitely not out of question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so how does that change the? Doesn't change the, anything. Because I know the truth. And I've always known the truth. That's why. I, then that's why, why would he make that accusation? Have to ask him. Again. Uh, just let me handle it. Why would he make that accusation, though? If if it's why did you why did you make that accusation? I didn't make any accusations. I don't know. You have to ask him. Jimbo sounds like your mom there when you keep trying to aggravate her when she's on the phone. Let me talk. You know, <laughs> like, can you believe this? This is still ongoing. I find this whole thing to be fascinating. I, at this point in time, I have no idea what the truth is on any of this. I don't think that Jimbo's lying about everything. I think it'd be impossible for someone to be that emphatic and lie about everything. But I also think this kind of goes back to, as you've heard before, what the definition of the word is, is there's just a lot of legalese around all of this. But it's amazing to me, after what I thought was going to be just a slammed shut door, nobody talking about this anymore at all, Jimbo Fisher is still out there talking. That's pretty amazing. All right, we've gone really late. I want to make sure I get uh, Mike Griffith here and be respectful of, uh, respectful of his time. Connor Riley, normally with us on a Tuesday, not here today. Our buddy Mike Griffith here instead. Tomorrow's special guest, we're also going to welcome in the great former Georgia linebacker Rennie Curran going to be on the show tomorrow. I've been looking forward to catching up with Rennie now for quite some time. Been just been looking for a good reason a good time to be able to have him on the show so we've got that coming up and we will do that then dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and good enough to make time for us on a special day on a tuesday let's talk to mike griffith right now from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider well, say hello to Mike Griffith. As I said before, this is not his normal day to be on our show, but he's kind enough to jump in anyway, and it's a good day to have him on. I'm getting to him a little late, so I want to be respectful of his time. But, uh, Mike, uh, are you surprised that Jimbo Fisher is still out there talking that after everything went on last week and after the commissioner stepped in, even so much so that other SEC coaches like Lane Kiffin were canceling interviews because I guess the thought was they wanted to circle the wagons. Jimbo Fisher in San Antonio this past weekend, local TV reporter, still out there making his case, still out there, you know, uh, arguing emphatically, really daring people to kind of look into what's going on with the Texas A&M recruiting class. Uh, are you surprised that Fisher has not let this go yet when he's got every opportunity to take a no comment on this if he wanted to? Not really. I mean, you know, he, he took a pretty good beating in the court of public opinion on that survey we did. You know, 72% of the people saying Nick uh, came off as more believable. And, hey, that's good news for Georgia. I mean, Kirby Smart is aligned with Nick Saban on these comments and, and, and uh, you know, trying to jolt this so that status quo doesn't remain in effect. Because if status quo sticks around, NIL is going to be a runaway train and, and Georgia and Alabama are going to be a disadvantage to Texas A&M, Texas. So Saban had to do something to jolt this and bring it to everyone's attention and maybe change 
uh, you know, the attitude in the court of public opinion so that maybe when politicians and lawmakers deal with this, uh, they'll be dealing with a, a different uh, public feeler. And, and I think where Jimbo's at, to your point, trying to defend his program, and, and what really hurts him, Brandon, is he had a show cause just two years ago for a violation. Um, there's a reason why people are skeptical and suspicious in Texas A&M. Uh, it, it has been uh, one of the programs that's crossed the line more than others in NCAA history. And Jimbo Fisher is not exactly viewed as a choir boy. So I, I think the A&M people are pretty rattled. I'll just say one more fact for you. Uh, and I was stunned when I did some research on this yesterday. Do you realize, and I didn't realize this, Brandon, Texas A&M has only won 10 or more games once in the last 23 yeah. years. Yeah. That's a, and, and think about this. Sam Pittman, in year two at Arkansas, Sam Pittman making $3 million a year, beat Jimbo Fisher in year four at A&M. I think, I think A&M folks are a little uptight. I, really, I think Jimbo's got some work to do. Well, I mean, he's obviously going to have some pressure to win. We understand that. But to the extent that you think that Georgia fans sided with Saban over Jimbo in that argument, maybe they did. But I think nationally this played way better for Jimbo than it did Saban. And my reason for saying that is Nick Saban's one that had to apologize. I thought Saban looked pretty weak shuffling his feet onto a satellite radio interview last week, having to apologize. The saying goes in politics, if you're explaining, you're not winning. Saban having to clarify his remarks made him seem also a little diminished there. Um, you know, I don't know that it was conduct all that becoming for either guy necessarily, but uh, Jimbo emphatically shouting out at Nick Saban. I think that's the kind of thing a lot of coaches have been wanting to say maybe against Nick for quite some time. So I think people understood where uh, Jimbo was coming from on some of that kind of stuff. But the fact that Nick Saban had to go apologize seemed to me certainly to indicate that he took it further than he wanted to. Well, the interesting part about that interview was it was scheduled before the confrontation. So that was a pre-scheduled. He didn't have to go on uh, to apologize. I think Nick chose to because, I, and I think the apology was to think that he singled out anybody. And I think it was more aimed at Deion Sanders. I think that's the, that's the one that he really probably was in the wrong for singling out because that, that what Jackson State's doing doesn't have any effect on what's happening in, at Alabama. And, and that truly hadn't been chronicled. So, you know, my understanding was, you know, his apology and from the transcript, he, he never said, I'm sorry to Jimbo Fisher. I think he said, I'm sorry that I, you know, I shouldn't have singled people out, which is kind of being in the principal's office and shrugging and going, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, Jimbo was so enraged and emotionally charged and let it get so personal, you know, that his message wasn't clear. I mean, look, you're right, Brandon. There's a lot of people you know, that have wanted to go at Nick Saban for years and years and years. But there's honor amongst these, and they're all guilty, and they all know it, and they were all a part of the same staff, all doing the same wrong stuff. Nobody's innocent here in college football. It's a joke. And, you know, Nick Saban's, you know, maybe he's the head of the pack when it came to innovation. I remember doing a story in 2009 uh, counting up the number of violations at each school, and Nick Saban in, at Alabama and Lane Kiffin then at Tennessee were at the head of the pack. But who cares? It doesn't matter. Nick Saban's never been hit with a major violation. Um, as far as his personality goes and his character, um, yeah, people are going to complain. And, and But you know what? They complain about Kirby Smart. People think Kirby Smart and George is cheating. Uh, Kirby doesn't care. Saban doesn't care. So, you know, to your point, maybe Jimbo brought some things up that we all suspected that Nick Saban's not squeaky clean. But to me, that's not a real revelation. 
Um, I, I think it, it basically what this whole takeaway for me was, was we're, we have to stand back and look at how enraged these coaches are over the NIL and what they're fighting about. Because for many of us, a lot of people, they don't really want to deal with NIL. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to know about it. They want to deny it. But Saban's basically saying, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing. This is really bad. And Jimbo's going, well, we ain't that bad. And Saban's saying, well, I'm not saying you're illegal, but what you're doing is not in the spirit of the NIL. So the fact that we're talking about it, we're carrying on about it, is exactly what Nick Saban wanted uh, because a lot of people really weren't aware of just how abused uh, these NIL privileges are, are on the brink of being, I think. Uh, on another note, we talked about this before you joined us. Kirby Smart ranks number two right now on the list of CBS Sports top coaches in college football, and we like having fun with debating this kind of stuff. Sure. It's ultimately not very important, but it's just kind of fun to do. What do you think Kirby rightfully belongs among the very best coaches in college football? Ahead of Dabo, still behind Dabo because Dabo's got the multiple national championships. And is there really anybody else you even put in the discussion right now, obviously, other than uh, Nick Saban, who's uh, on top of the sport? Well, I mean, right now, Kirby's number one. I mean, right now, Kirby has more draft picks over the last four-year cycle than anybody. Right now, Kirby's the defending national champion. Right now, Kirby's put more players into the NFL in one class than anyone else. Uh, and right now, you know, Kirby's program had the, the biggest profit out of anybody in the last fiscal year. Um, you know, Kirby's, you know, 46 years old and healthy. You know, right now, he's number one. I mean, are, you know, this is kind of like comparing favorite sports cars. You know, I mean, uh, you know, do you, you want to put the 1978 Porsche 911 up against the current version? I mean, this, you know, if, if we're talking about the totality of a career, uh, okay, well, Kirby's not on the Mount Rushmore of coaches yet, all right? It'd be Saban, Spurrier, Paul Bear, Bryant, and I don't know, you could start an argument and fight forever for that fourth name. But, uh, so, no, Kirby's not on the Mount Rushmore yet. But right now, I, I don't know how he's not number one. I, I look at those things too. I used to make fun of them. I, they always used to love to put, you know, whoever does it must have, you know, be related to somebody that went to Florida because they always put a Florida coach where they have did Billy Napier in the top ten yet. Like, no. They used they used to have Dan Mullen in the top five. There, you'd be like, what? Wait, where? So to your point, you know, these lists are um, they're fun, like you said. Um, they're good fodder and discussion in terms of how we quantify success and and who's done what. And what have you done for me lately? Um, you know, shoot, three years ago, Ed Orgeron probably would have been ranked in their top ten. You know, now he doesn't even have a job. So uh, I don't know the real relevance of it, but it is a, a good topic. But in my mind, um, you know, as I sit here and actually was, was digging into a, you know, kind of a story with some points on this, don't mind sharing the opinion here. I don't know how Kirby's not number one at this moment. Well, but in fairness, though, I mean, there is something to be said for winning multiple championships. And obviously right now, I mean, if you look at the kind of the mood of college football, there is this thought of, well, you know, Kirby won it last year, but can he do it again? I mean, clearly Alabama's mostly picked ahead of Georgia right now, meaning that uh, a lot of people believe that Kirby hasn't fully moved Saban off his perch as of yet. And I kind of understand where that comes from. I'm probably higher on Georgia for the upcoming year than a lot of people are but even I still sort of understand the idea of you know Dabo winning a second national championship is a really big deal beating Alabama to do so Nick Saban winning sure. as many national titles as he has done that you know 
that there is certainly something to be said for climbing the mountain and winning a national championship. But the idea that you come back and you win another one, that is an entirely different level of, of achievement. And I don't I don't I certainly don't mind Kirby being ranked behind Saban right now because he hasn't yet won the multiple national uh, championships. I certainly understand the 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 challenge associated with replicating that championship success. Yeah, this is kind of a Josh Allen, Tom Brady discussion, you know. Uh, you know, and I don't think anybody would say Josh Allen is is done more than Tom Brady. But who would you rather have as your quarterback right now? Yeah, I mean, you got a forty six year old guy and a seventy year old guy. Now, you know, to your point, you know, and now the Saban's still competitive. I'm sure Tom Brady will be next year as well. But but my point is, you know, there's different ways to quantify who's best. Who's best right now? Who's done more? Um, you know, and I do think, by the way, that, that Nick Saban is still viable as is the number number one coach. Uh, but if you're asking me who I'd rather have right now, I, I, I would take the 46 right. year old guy coming off the national championship. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Saban. I mean, look, seven, he's the greatest coach of our era when we speak in generalities. Uh, but as we you know, as we put the microscope on this and say, okay, well, who would we rather have coaching our program right now? I, I think I would take the 46-year-old guy um, well, that's on the brink of a 10-year, $100 million contract. Yeah, I mean, the number one argument for why that's true, Mike, is look how much of Saban's program has been outsourced in recent years. And right. I mean, you don't want to go back to 2020. Um, Steve Sarkeesian was a more important figure to the Alabama program, I believe, than Nick Saban was. It was Sarkeesian's influence in particular that led to that team scoring 50 points per game. And the absence of that, I don't think they quite were the same. I mean, if you had to lose a coach, they did lose Saban for a game in 2020. Uh, the guy that you couldn't afford to lose for a game in 2020 was Steve Sarkeesian, working with Mac Jones, working with those wide receivers. Prior to that, it's guys like Lane Kiffin. Brian Dable was there as well. As the Saban has gotten older. We all do. Eventually, we can't slow down the aging process. But Saban has given more and more authority and control over to other people. I just think it just goes without saying that Smart is a greater influence on the Georgia program than Saban is over the Alabama program right now. So to your point about why you'd rather have you know Kirby than Saban, I think Kirby's just doing more coaching on a, uh, a weekly basis than Saban's doing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the boy, we could. That, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, although you do seem to be slowing down the uh, aging process, BA. You're doing pretty good for taking care of yourself there. there. There, there's a lot to unpack there, though. I would say Bryce Young means more to Alabama than Nick Saban. I mean, I, I think the talent. You know, I think that, and, and I don't. You know, obviously, what Sarkeesian did against Georgia and the you know the points they put up against the great defense and all that. But do you do that without Devontae Smith and without Najee Harris? So I think it, you dial it back. And I think you got to have talent. Now, here's the thing about Sarkeesian and why I kind of – I don't know if bristle is the right word, but the hair on my neck stood up a little bit. You know, I was discussing Steve Sarkeesian and the Arch Manning sweepstakes the other day, and somebody pointed this out. Um, it might have been Centel's Intel. Uh, you know, if you're Arch Manning, you want to go somewhere where you know you're going to win. And Sarkeesian really didn't do that much at Texas. There are other good coaches. You think about Steve Spurrier in his first year at Florida, and the Gators won more than anybody. They never won a league championship before, and technically they should have been the 1990 champs. There's a story behind that, and we'll do it another day. But Spurrier comes in right away and moves Florida up to the top of the league. Terry Bowden in 1993 takes over for Pat Dye. Uh, the team had gone 5-6 five and 5-5-1. Five, five and one. Terry goes 11-0 uh, the first year. Good coaches can come in and win right away with other folks' players. And te Texas has talent. 
And and what were they last year? Like five and six or six and seven? I mean, I, I'm just not sure, you know, how great of a coach Stark is. And and I think there's a lot to be said when you have talent, you know, I think it's easier to, to, to work with. I mean, uh, JT Daniels end of 2020 with a healthy George Pickens and a healthy Jermaine Burton throws for 401 yards. JT Daniels in the season opener, albeit Clemson much better, number two defense in the country, operating with a lot of first-year receivers in their first start. You know, I think he threw for good yardage, but there wasn't a touchdown. So I I think the talent around it, we could use Jake Fromm, 2018 versus 2019. I think the talent has a lot to do with it, and that's where I default to the coach and kind of the program. And, And it's really Saban that kind of orchestrates all that. To your point, on a game-by-game basis, I absolutely believe that Kirby Smart is more involved uh, and delegates less. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I, you might want to ask Todd Munkin about that. Um, but they do seem to work things out pretty well, as uh, Seth and Bennett and the dogs got it done last year. Let me squeeze in one thing before we let you go. SEC spring meetings are coming up. Obviously, it's going to be anticipated because of the potential for fireworks between Jimbo and Saban. But as far as like – the other stuff that comes out of it, what do you expect to hear about when the SEC gets together uh, in Destin coming up in a few days? Well, I, I think Greg Sankey has, you know, separated the boys and he'll probably have another talk with them before the meeting there. Uh, and I think that it's going to be more decidedly upbeat. You know, the SEC is good at this stuff and I think we're going to have the conversation of scheduling model and the two primary that appear to be on the table, uh, the 7-1 model, uh, you know, where you play the same seven teams and one rotate. I guess, is that right? Seven teams and then one rotating? Or No, no, I'm sorry. I got that backwards. You have one annual opponent and seven that rotate. Mm-hmm. Or the 3-6 model where you would have three that are common and six that would rotate. And, uh, and I'll also put a story up on that. As I suggested, who's Georgia? My eyes went right to Vanderbilt. And, and who gets the automatic win with Vanderbilt? But here's the caveat. You might get the automatic win with Vanderbilt, Brandon, but you're not sure they're going to show up. So you could lose a game. But if you get Vanderbilt as one of the three teams, you, congratulations. Uh, you have a free victory every year, and you just have to hope the Commodores show up. There you go. <laughs> there you go, Mike. It's a- <laughs> gotta hope, gotta hope they show up. I'm not going to forget that. They rot- and Kirby didn't either. I'm telling you, 35 to zero after one quarter last year. That was absolutely not a coincidence. It just wasn't. Well, Mike, it's certainly a good chance, good chance to talk with you. No coincidence that we have a good time when you're on the show with us. So <laughs> we will read more from you at DogNation.com. You've had some great stuff, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing from you again on your normal day. I would say of Wednesday coming up again very soon there as well. But nice to have you sliding in here on a different day here for this week. Thanks, BA. Have a good one. You too. <laughs> take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through interesting stuff there from uh, mike griffith in the program get ready to transition to our cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean of course mike was on board with us when we were on independence of the seas back in the month of april and you heard us having such a great time with that you have your chance to be on board your own royal caribbean cruise vacation here coming up there as well uh, we talked yesterday about you know those oasis class ships those big seven day sailings with all the different amenities they have also hey you may say well listen i got a busy summer my kids are playing sports 
uh, you know, whatever else you got going on. I can't quite get away for the full seven days. Well, that's where one of these great three or four night sailings coming out of the Bahamas, uh, going to the Bahamas, is making makes a lot of sense for you. Whether it be on Independence of the Seas, Mariner of the Seas, on one of those great uh, recently amplified ships that uh, will take you on one of those shorter sailings. I also like going out of Port Canaveral for something like that because if you're in the Atlanta area, Port Canaveral is just kind of past Orlando. It's one of those great cruise vacations that doesn't really require air travel. You know, you can go out of a lot of different ports, but to me, the most convenient port for a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, you know, at least when you're first kind of getting going, is uh, out of Port Canaveral going down there near Orlando. And as said before, Independence of the Seas, uh, Mariner of the Seas, one of those great uh, experiences. You can go to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. You can check out maybe Nassau. You can check out all the things on board these Royal Caribbean cruise ships and have a great time doing that. Also, reach out to our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. They can tell you more about this. Check them out, tcava.com. That's the website, tcava.com. Or you can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Make sure you check them out here today. All right, let's get some SEC talk here going just for a moment. Uh, one of the things I do think it might be interesting also coming out of the spring meetings, which Mike gave us a little bit of a preview about there before, interesting piece up with uh, Pete Thamel at uh, ESPN.com about the idea that in the future the SEC could stage its own playoff and basically create a competing postseason entity with what we currently understand as the college ball playoff. And some people kind of look at this from the vantage point of this is how mad Greg Sankey is about the way in which some of the folks known as the Alliance, the the, the group of folks that are kind of battling against the SEC, dragged their feet on what had been a, an agreed-upon expansion to the playoff. They dragged their feet on that. Sankey being upset, so he's going to take his ball and go home and create his own playoff format here. And there is at least some motivation behind that on this. I do believe that Sankey was frustrated by what had been agreed upon, backtracked upon, simply out of spite because they didn't like the SEC and how the SEC handled the acquisition of Texas and Oklahoma. But I think it's important to know that's not maybe all this is. And I hate to get so deep in the weeds in this, but when you think about like some of the issues related to NIL and transfer portals, some of the chaos that some folks would like to kind of tame a bit, one thing to keep in mind is, is that all of this faces potential legal challenge because everybody in college football is under the same umbrella. It kind of has the feeling of being a little bit of a monopoly. It creates the kind of antitrust concerns. You've heard that fancy word used a little bit. Well, smart people are also saying that if you want to get around the antitrust issues, if you want to get around the accusation of using a monopoly for your benefit, then the best way to do that is to create a smaller enclave that's seemingly competing against other college sports organizations as a way of saying this isn't what everybody's doing this is just what we're doing related to transfers relating to nil money relating to any kind of revenue payment whatsoever so if you don't like this hey there's no monopoly in place here you're free to go do something somewhere else but for our organization these are the rules we're going to have and ultimately i mean thamel's actually written about this himself at espn.com as well ultimately that may be where this is going as a way of kind of creating a version of college sports that's more palatable to, to more people you may have to create a smaller organization that's not quite as big as the current ncaa or the current college football playoff committee which includes all 30 130 uh, fbs level teams you may have to create something different than that as a way of restructuring the rules by getting around what right now would seem like an antitrust violation at least on the part of a lot of lawyers who've spoken up upon that. Now, 
that may be a legal way to do this, but it's not hard to see how this could be a little bit of a loss for those of us who are college football fans. We have jokingly said that Georgia may have been the last true national champion. Coming up very soon, Georgia just may not be competing against the rest of the country, may be competing against a much smaller number of schools. And this is not going to be like maybe we grew up with like the American League, and the National League, where it was like two entities that met at the end. This may be more like WWE and AEW, for those of you that follow professional wrestling, or WWE and WCW, if you want to go back to the old days, of two organizations that, for the most part, officially anyway, don't even acknowledge the other one even exists. That all of this is at least potentially possible. And normally we're used to an offseason where everybody's throwing around these hypotheticals and none of this ever comes true. These kinds of weird hypotheticals and how crazy college sports may one day evolve to be, that's less hypothetical in this offseason than it's probably ever been before. Uh, I'll also just mention this very quickly. Uh, the other CBS, actually, let me just save this. The, the other CBS coaches on the list of top coaches, I was going to do something on that. Let me just save that for right now, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit heavier because there's actually something else that one of the CBS guys said about one of the teams on Georgia's schedule that I think is worth paying a little bit extra attention to. So let me do that on a time when I have more time to be able to do that. A couple of shout-outs here before we say goodbye to you here today. First of all, when it comes to the finished long drink, great time to be checking that out heading towards this summertime. Uh, try one of those eight-can variety packs. It's two different cans of each of the four different finished long drink varieties. Now, you may be saying, well, B.A., I'm not that familiar with the varieties. Well, go to the longdrink.com. You can learn more about this, whether it's the long drink cranberry which has the cranberry flavor the long drink strong which eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero that's no carbs no sugar the long drink traditional it's a blue can it's a citrus kick goes along with the gin flavor uh really good stuff so put in your zip code you can find out where you can pick up some today that's the long also normally on tuesdays we have Connor Riley here for our kroger fresh take with him Connor will be back with us soon he's taking a little vacation time we're glad that he is so in the meantime, no Connor, but still a chance for you to check out Kroger Boost. I hope you'll do that. Kroger.com slash boost. Great chance to get double the fuel savings there at Kroger. You want those extra fuel points? You get that as a member of the Kroger Boost program. You can also get free grocery delivery there as well. All kinds of other great features, benefits, and incentives there too. So to find out more about this, just simply go to Kroger.com slash boost. That's Kroger.com slash boost. You can enroll for as little as $59 a year, and I hope you will. It's a great chance to save money at the pumps, great chance to get a convenience of free grocery delivery and some other cool stuff there as well find out more about this online kroger.com slash boost all right shocking breach of protocol here in that normally the golden shoe is a time to honor others but today i'm actually going to give one to myself let me show you this on the screen here last night i had a chance to be uh, at the atlanta braves game took my son i said this uh, on twitter last night greatest stadium giveaway ever when I tell you the replica national, uh, actually World Series rings, the replica World Series rings that the Braves gave out last night, this was the second of three nights they're giving these away. This is not a commercial. This is just me enjoying uh, enjoying this as a fan. Uh, these rings are so nice, so well done, and it was absolutely free to the first 40,000 in the stadium there last night. As I said before, it's not a Braves read. It's not an ad. I was just very blown away, very impressed by how nice this was by the Braves last night. I'd love to see Georgia do something like this. This was really very cool. So golden shoe, I guess, to the Braves instead of giving one to myself. But that's me 
with my ring right there in the picture. No championship rings to be had by Florida, though. 4,884 days since the lousy stinking Gators have won a national championship. And, of course, dogs back in Jacksonville beating up on Florida again. We'll do it 158 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comment section at dognation.com. And, you know, listen, I love when you guys share feedback about anything you might have going on, whether it be an issue with the show or also just a thought about Georgia football. Uh, Chip Stewart had reached out about uh, an issue that he was having listening to the show on TuneIn. Now, i got to be completely honest with you. I don't know how our show ends up on TuneIn, so I'm going to have to look into that, but I'll see if I can get some information on that. Y'all know I'm only just barely smart enough to do this show, so whatever issue might be going on there is probably beyond my understanding, so I'll have to try to figure that out. Uh, Davis McCollum also weighing in on the Arch Manning stuff. I was on 92.9 The Game this morning, and he was weighing in there on that about the process of elimination for Arch Manning. And to me, the reason why I think Arch is coming to Georgia, and we've talked about this this, this week already, is partly about what Georgia has to offer, but also partly about the elimination of a, of a Texas or an Alabama. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I don't believe Nick Saban's going to be at Alabama for the full extent of Arch Manning's career if it lasts three years. I don't think that he, I don't think he'll be there. So therefore, Manning likely knowing that, I would at least suspecting that that's to me a reason to eliminate Alabama from this discussion if Saban was 10 years younger maybe Saban easily wins the Arch Manning recruitment because of the success they've had but it's obviously not the circumstances we're in right now conversely I think something similar is true for Texas although different in that regard younger coach but the reason why you can eliminate Texas I believe in the discussion is because Texas is just not winning enough and they didn't have any NFL draft picks from this past NFL draft cycle and they've also cultivated kind of an odd level of drama around that program you've had players calling in other players you've had coaches calling out players you've had C. Sarkeesian calling them out all of them on the same topic it's just been kind of a weird time to be around the Texas program there's a motto in Austin of keep Austin weird they seem to like that kind of thing but the Manning family doesn't strike me as the kind that embraces any level of weirdness they're just a little bit you know more buttoned up than that I'd say so it's almost through a process of elimination, you're forced to arrive at sort of Georgia or nothing in the case of Arch Manning. Now, the longer this goes, the more maybe Texas has a chance to clean its act up a little bit and maybe make a strong case to Manning. They'll obviously get the final of his official visits in June. Maybe they can do that there. But, you know, this notion, and Mike Griffith kind of said this during the show today, well, you know, Texas can throw around more NIL money than anybody. But have you noticed they're not really doing that? Like, there was the one quarterback that left and went to Nebraska who said, They've got more NIL opportunities in Nebraska. They currently have Texas. They never really got involved in the Jordan Addison situation. There have been other examples where they maybe could have gotten involved and just didn't. You know, for a program like Texas, who supposedly has all this NIL money, where is it? What are they doing with it? Thus far, they're not very they're not buying very many good players, it would seem. Uh, but maybe that starts to change there as well. Anyway, good to have you for our podcast cool down here today. Big thanks to our friends at R.S. Andrews for making it possible. You can find them online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. And, of course, we will see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.